0: What's up, you'll hear it. Hey, this is Bob DeBoo, the host of the Upright Citizens podcast. I've Got a question for you. How would you like to get inside the mind of one of the most recorded musicians of all time? Well, here's your chance. The legendary bassist Ron Carter will join the open studio community on June 14th for an exclusive one-time only live mentor session. You don't want to miss this. To learn the secrets to the maestro's iconic sound, gain insights to his unique musical mind in real time, Pick his brain on his illustrious career and get answers that'll propel your music to new heights. Join today and unlock your free 14-day trial at OpenStudioJazz.com. Then you'll be able to not only join the maestro in this exclusive conversation, but dig into his brilliant course, Blueprint for Jazz Bass, and so much more. So sign up now. Peace.
1: What's going on, everybody? We have a very, very special guest. Super excited today to be sitting with uh, and talking with Kiefer. What's going on, Kiefer?
0: Not much. Uh, Really happy to be here. I'm just uh, chilling in a studio somewhere in New York and uh, happy to, you know, tune in and talk to y'all. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, Thanks, man.
1: Yeah, thank you. And we're big fans as well. I'm so glad this was able to come together. And I thought we could kind of start... um, because, you know, certainly our hope with these always is that maybe some of your fans, maybe some of our fans, maybe some music fans, maybe some jazz fans, some BAM fans all kind of coming together and end up here and like, what the hell is going on? Uh, but I'd love to sort of hear. I know that you're deeply steeped in the Southern California scene. You came up in, I believe, San Diego. But I was wondering if you could just kind of talk about your you know, background, how you got into music, your inf- early influences, and um, how you ended up at the beautiful place you are now.
0: Man, um well I started playing very young um maybe around like 3 or 4 years old. Not I didn't get serious till I was probably like 14 or 15. Um but I was uh, my dad plays piano. He plays like New Orleans style. Like he's not a professional musician but he plays like um like Professor Longhair and like stuff like that. He loves uh, like Dr. John. Oh yeah. So he he showed me like boogie-woogie stuff when I was young and uh I listened to a ton of blues. I was like You know, his favorite music, you know, Muddy Waters and Otis Spann and Memphis Slim, all these different blues artists. And then and then it was it was jazz as well. It was a lot of John Coltrane. Like one of my first memories, I might have been like three or four years old. My dad had a mixtape in his car and he would like make me recite the names of the the artists and what the names of the songs were. So I remember like the first artist I could recognize was John Coltrane. Whenever the blue train intro, yeah, yeah. I could recognize that right away. Right. So I was really lucky. My dad was uh, like kind of teaching me that stuff from a very young age. Um, and yeah. And then growing up in San Diego, when I was like in high school, I got to like go out and play with uh, like Gilbert Castellano. So I'm sure, I'm sure you've crossed paths with at some point yeah, maybe absolutely yeah Yep. gilbert's incredible a legend um and really kind of the linchpin for the whole scene there so um yeah i was like you know going to like jam sessions and uh just trying to learn and uh yeah and then i got into music school at some point and-
2: it's so funny man we just shout out to to dad's record collections ever because we talk about this with our our fathers, and moms, rec- and moms, but that's right. But I think specifically for us, and it sounds like for you two, Kiefer, like yes, our dad's record collections just somehow had a huge impact on all of us. Like yeah. I, I remember listening to jazz with my dad, and like we were, and he didn't. He's not a musician really, and he like we we're trying to figure it out, like what's happening here, and we would talk about it together when yeah. I was a little kid, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just think if like your dad Kiefer had been uh, or Adam had been playing like the wrong stuff. Not that there's any wrong stuff, but just some some less musically astute tracks than Blue Train. You know how how do we end up then? You know who knows.
2: When you Peter, you talk about your dad introducing you to like Monk and Miles and all these people when you were young. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and I wonder too. Like, was if there was a moment? I know for me, Kiefer, it, it was like, you know, Herbie Hancock, his. He had a, He had a record called Rocket, a single that was kind of a big deal when I was like thirteen years old because it was because <laughs> it was on MTV and it had a video and stuff, and I remember listening to that, and I had the LP and I was even trying to scratch with it because I hadn't figured that out yet. Ooh. but my dad was like, "What is that?" And I said, "Oh, this is this guy you don't know about him, Herbie Hancock, and he said, "Oh, yeah, I think I have a Miles Davis record that he's playing on there. I was like, "No, I don't think so. this is Herbie Hancock of today, you know, but then my dad yeah. introduced me to my Funny Valentine, but like that kind of intersection. I wonder if there was some moments like that for you with kind of like what's happening now or like when you were coming up where you started to make these connections between maybe it's not just the, some old stuff that my dad is playing. Like how did it become relevant for you and then kind of become what eventually your art is and how the prism that you look at music and how you create
0: it? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, uh, man, that's a great question. So yeah, obviously I love hip hop. You know, um, hip hop super important to me. Uh, Hip hop is uh, a a million things. Um, One of the things that I like about it and kind of it's kind of a celebration of records itself. I mean, one of the one of the ways that it started was, you know, uh, DJs with with turntables flipping back and forth, mixing, scratching, doing all kinds of different things. Which is like not only a musical thing, but also an audio thing. It's mm-hmm. also like an art of audio and mm-hmm. just like sound itself. And um, so I remember when I was like, I, I where, where which story can I tell? There's so many. They're so important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I was like maybe when I was coming out of mu- music school, when I was coming out of UCLA, I was um, pretty much like I, I was really into, you know, musicians like Benny Green and Oscar Peterson. Monty Alexander, like super just like greasy swinging stuff. Gene Harris, yeah. all that. And um, and then I, I remember I went to like a, I was like hanging out with a bunch of producers and then I was also into hip hop, I should say. I was also into like hip hop and like more like modern production as well. There was a scene in LA that was super vibrant with these really crazy, uh, super creative producers, people like Knowledge and Mind Design, these people that I really love who I'm now on the same label with. And I was hanging out with a bunch of these guys and we were like taking turns, like playing tracks and they were playing, like they would play like jazz stuff, but it like, it was not like the most, not, not like what I would think of as like, like really awesome recordings, but like the, the audio would be, they would be like listening to like that sound of the audio. Like who's the the person who's probably producing it in the other room. Mm. And then I would play some like Oscar Pearson stuff that I thought was super killing, but it would be some eighties recording where the the bass is di and the the mm. the simple tone is super pingy it doesn't have like, the vibe like, it doesn't have the vibe for them yeah and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't sound yeah. great but yeah. if they're like absolutely burning shit to the ground you know so i yeah, sorry yeah. i don't know if i should be cursing it now, but you, you should maybe mandatory mandatory and then i remember like these guys kind of looking at each other like i don't like this at all like they <laughs> they just weren't hearing and i realized like there's a whole other way to listen to music where, you know, maybe I'm listening to their records and I'm not digging their stuff necessarily, but maybe there's something I'm missing because I'm mm-hmm. missing something with mine. So what am I missing with theirs? And I started to think more open-mindedly about that and realize that there's also an art form to like, yeah, just like the records and audio and the tone. And then that just really enhanced my understanding of, of hip hop and all these producers who are experimenting with like sound on a more intricate level in but in a different way.
2: Yeah, I think you know? I think this is where like you know the music that's being made today, including your own music, this is where it's really like leading the charge for creativity and for innovation because you know there is this sort of crossover now of like understanding how how the nuts and bolts of music works from like a from a harmonies perspective, a melodic <laughs> perspective, a rhythmic perspective, and then understanding the nuts and bolts of how sound works and audio works and production, production yeah. works and it's like there ha- there's definitely like a generational delineation yes but it seems to me that uh with with players like you with musicians like you sort of leading this charge it never had it better as far as like people that know why Oscar Peterson and is burning it down in the 80s and why that works but also know shout
1: out Telarc Records for for the damn right. DI right but
2: but also know why some you know a, obscure Italian recording from the late 60s sounds the way it does and why why yeah. it's why that vibe is important to the music i think it was kind of overlooked for at least a lot of you know quote unquote jazz musicians or whatever for years and yep. decades even of like what is you know the vibe is missing somewhere. The playing is always great, and the music is p- pure and wonderful. Yeah, but like we can care about this other thing too, and it's important.
0: Yeah, I think I think like recording the art of recording is so central to j- the history of jazz. Truly, it's so. Yeah. Weird. What would like what would, about like Nat Cole and Capitol Records and 100%. like that sound is oh. just unbelievable. One hundred percent. Yep. And like you know that that room is epic. I mean, not to mention just. I mean, oh, there's so many directions I could take that. But then also there's, you know, obviously the blue note sound, which is like my, that's my favorite. Mm. Keyscape will, I I need them to make a piano tone that sounds like that. Why, right. you know, yeah. anyway, it's impossible though. It's impossible. Yeah. I mean, that that sound is just like, you can't imitate that. And then the Van, um, the
2: Van Gelder piano. Keyscape, product. if you're listening, Van Gelder piano. <laughs> <Yeah. aesthetic.
0: laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want like a clean piano tone. I want some like interesting. Anyway, yeah. and then, um, or like, you know, or like you think about like Miles and his relationship with with his producer Tio, and you know yeah. they,
2: yeah.
0: you know all these so you know, much Miles love yet so much these, hate. Got so seriously who his producer was, you know, yes. and that's why his records are the best. And Herbie too. Herbie yeah. became an incredible record producer. Wow. He still
2: is. He still is. And it's I think it's something, especially as like pianists who grew up listening to this stuff. It's yeah. so easy. I mean, this is like so epic. You could spend just your whole life worrying about these relationships here. And then, you know, it sort of gets lost on the translation out, outside of this. Yeah. You know, uh, if it doesn't sound good. Absolutely. You know, or interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I think, for, key sure. for what you and, and kind of your generation, and I mean, these things always bleed over some, but what I'm really excited about is, um, you know, you guys really attuning to the production side, to the sound design side, to like that as being such an important part of the creative process. Whereas I feel like when we like – We're always talking about, you know, like the Young Lions thing. I remember coming to New York in like, you know, late 80s, early 90s and all these great music, you know, Roy Hargrove and Christian McBride and Greg Hutchinson and Joshua Redman meeting all them. Like, we weren't, we didn't have access. We should have been like talking to like Farber, you know, James Farber and these engineers that we got a chance to work with. But we were just like, we were just like, no, we're about the music. There was such a segregation between sound production and playing at that time, which I think worked for that time i think you need both though you need both, both, both yeah is good and i think it's like a really beautiful circle that's kind of coming back because if you like you're talking about oscar peterson in the 80s we were just listening to some stuff from amsterdam in the late uh 50s, 50s yeah with the trio with herb ellis and oscar Pe- and like the sound is killing on there much better than it was what? later on like somebody was paying attention to it for sure
2: what do you think about blue yeah. train what you just mentioned hearing blue train and being able to to recognize that imagine if blue train was didn't sound like that
0: you know, oh, it's half yeah. the record is
2: how it sounds.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I, I think that's a really important part of it. I think, yeah, and I think also just like jazz musicians historically, their relationship to their just record labels in general obviously changed very dramatically in the 60s and 70s. And I think in the 50s and 60s, you know, Miles was doing like three, four, five. These guys were doing like five albums a year. It was nuts. I mean, mm. like that was just like such an integral part of what they were doing. Um, and I think then over the years, you know, as, you know, rock and all this other stuff came in in the 60s, I'm sure a lot of jazz musicians became very jaded and just like the studio just became like just a pain in the ass. I'm sure they weren't getting the best dates and things became more and more expensive for them as other acts, you know, were became larger. And yeah, I'm sure at a certain point, just it didn't it didn't matter. But now, as like kind of as you alluded to, it's so cheap to record now that yeah. a- anybody, anybody can make an album. Like Lewis Cole, I love Lewis Cole. I don't know if you guys know Lewis is yeah. drummer, incredible. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, his first record, there's one of the songs on there. I think it's called Window Shop. He recorded it with his laptop microphone. He set his laptop on the ground. He has like a drum kit on a tile floor, and it sounds like terrible and also amazing. It's yeah. like you know he
1: made it part um, of the
0: vibe. Yeah, he, like he like found he like he like had this cr- this creative dilemma he had to solve, and he came up with a really like creative like palette of sounds that made it work. And it, it sounds amazing. So let's
2: get back to your story. So you're, you're, you're into hip hop, you're into obviously straight ahead, you know, jazz stuff and you're playing piano. And when does this like, when when do you make the choice to sort of like well i'm gonna i'm gonna like blend like my thing is these things together it's like cause it's so easy we could get caught up in like well I'm just gonna be a producer or I'm just gonna go the jazz piano route and and like hit that scene hard but it seems like you've kind of carved your own path with this and I wonder if that was this just organic or or uh, how'd that come about
0: uh it was a lot of different things um yeah at first it was like I liked two separate things you know it was like i I really liked playing straight ahead. Um, and and then I also really liked playing or like making beats. I love Jay Dilla and Madlib and all these hip hop producers from like the late nineties and early two thousands. And I had a bunch of friends who were, well, yeah, I was kind of, I was going to, there was like two scenes. I was going to like the blue whale in LA and like checking out that scene and watching, you know, older musicians than me, people like, you know, Gerald Clayton and Ben Wendell and all these like Walter Smith, all these incredible people playing there week in and week out. And then I was also going to like this like beat maker scene where that would be like Flying Lotus and Thundercat and, um, you know, all these other people doing like really off the wall, loud, aggressive electronic music. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I just, I realized that I wanted to be doing I wanted to be playing my instrument like these people, but I also wanted to be in front of this crowd. I just liked this audience for some reason that just resonated with me. Because over here, it just felt like a lot of like college kids who were like kind of watching the performance like it was a museum exhibit. Yeah. Sometimes it, was, it felt very sterile. Then over here, it's like, honestly, the same people a lot of the time, but like jumping up and down and yelling and screaming and just like, it was just like, it just felt so much more like visceral to me. And so, yeah, I just uh, started putting it together. I think that wasn't until I was like 23 or 24 that I started like really aggressively being like, I'm going to start making, you know, one to two like beats every day, have, you know, a few hundred at the end of the year. And I started releasing a song every week on SoundCloud. This is also SoundCloud era. There's so many like aspects of like yeah, yeah, yeah. what the era was like at the time that also was informing what yeah. a lot of us were doing. Did you hear what he we said, though, Peter?
2: Them. So this is like one of our mantras here is if you want to get good at something, just do it every day. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's yeah. good. Just do it every day. Commit to just making it. And yes. eventually, you'll understand it <laughs> somewhat. Totally. Yeah. When yes, I I love totally. that
1: thing, what you're saying, you know, releasing something every week, because you, you talk about, like, Miles and Columbia and, and tail, and I was just looking at some letters I'd never seen that Miles, like, typed up or had somebody type up to send with all these specific instructions on the production and the mix of these things, and, you know, and I know they used to record a lot. If you imagine if they had had a chance to be able to just drop a track every week or something and to be yeah, even more God. prolific than that. I mean, you talk about no gatekeeping, and I I think it's such a... Such a a strategic advantage we have as jazz musicians or just jazz adjacent, you know, improvisational musicians where we can do that, where we don't have to go into the studio for three months and, you know, smoke weed and get a vibe before we can come up with the
2: first chord. Oh, could you imagine? We might want to do that. (laughs) Could you imagine if, if SoundCloud was around when Stevie Wonder grew up? I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, it would yeah. be like we'd have so much.
1: Well, and he was always kind of trying. Like he was ahead of the curve. Yeah, he like, was with like reel to reel and stuff. Like he was creating his own stuff like that, where yeah. he could be productive yeah. and creative like that. So that's yeah, cool, no. man. That's that's so great.
0: Um, you gotta make a lot of stuff you know that's just something i tell them i mean especially now in this day and age like you you gotta make a lot of stuff release a lot of stuff don't be precious about your stuff i I think all the best musicians did a ton of stuff and we forget that that's right
2: that's right
1: now how are you it's interesting you say that because like i want to i want to drill down into like how are you able to do that in this you know we were talking about the advantages of the current time let's talk about some other differences in the current time so you know if somebody wants to learn about Kiefer, they can go and look at videos about you. They can look at social media posts. They can listen to your music, of course. But the one thing that we used to always have for different artists, you would only have would be the music and you'd hear it on the LP. I mean, I grew up listening to Herbie and stuff like looking at the LPs and like, oh, there's another picture, McCoy Tyner or whatever. But to have the kind of access beyond that, um, like how does how that inform your music and kind of your relationship? I know you're in the middle, I was looking at your tour dates. You're in the middle of like a whole bunch of U.S. stuff and Europe stuff, so you're going to be meeting maybe some new fans, some old fans or whatever, but folks know about you, or at least they think that they know about you. Maybe they even know about, think they know about you better than they know your actual music. And how does that inform kind of like the trajectory of how you develop things and how you develop your audience?
0: Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, my, my objective with that is uh, there's a Warren Buffett quote, which is uh, delight your customers you know i'm just trying, i just want people to to have a good experience uh, with me in whatever way possible and I, I try to offer as much service as i can um, uh, whether it's you know responding to a, a you know 50 dms in a day or you know doing free piano lectures on sundays which i did a bunch of those earlier this year or mm. or or sometimes i'll i'll take on students and just like you know do you know zoom lessons with people and and not charge them crazy amounts or um, or making video courses and play, whatever. I'm, I'm just trying to like make myself as available as mm. possible. I want to be the dude who's available and approachable. Uh, I think about the word approachable. a lot. I want to be uh, the most approachable guy. So, um, yeah. And then I think, you know, uh, my belief is that I don't think it's get rich quick, but I think it's get rich for sure. And I think like, if you do that and you, and you stack it, one, five, ten, fifteen years. I think uh, I, I think it'll pay off. I, I don't know for sure, uh, but I think uh, I think it'll be fun at least. Yeah. yeah,
2: we've had a similar experience here building Open Studio, where the less precious we are with what we're doing, where we it, like the more we just open up, and there's more free stuff, and we're just making stuff. The more actually people do want to just be in the environment, you know, and we've been able to grow the business with. Just being open and just being, like you said, available. Like, it's, I think, something that is almost counterintuitive. I I think, especially uh, for some people in our specific genre, but it works, man. It's like, it's really the only way to connect with people is to just keep it open and keep it available.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering how much of this is like uh, the times changing, different generations, but just different more time periods. But also the West Coast versus East Coast, not versus. I mean, just the the beautiful differences. Midwest, Texas. I mean, I love anytime there's like a scene somewhere. We talk about the London. You know what's happening in the London scene in terms of like jazz and jazz, whatever adjacent stuff. Um, I love all those differences, and I, I, I feel like we're at a time where we're kind of coming back to that a little bit, which is cool, because that used to be kind of a hallmark of this music. It's like you could tell a tenor player that came out of Texas because they had that. I mean, they could go to New York and do their thing or whatever. But I'm wondering if this idea like what you just said, delight your customer in quoting Warren Buffett. Like when we were coming up in <laughs> New York, the Young Lions, like if I had said that or like Roy Harger would said that, like we would have we literally would have beat somebody down. Be like, no, they better come <laughs> to us, you know, and that's not a good thing. It's just a, it's just a different time, you know, and I'm wondering how yeah. how much you're seeing that kind of like, is that unique to you, would you say? Or is that like kind of a general feeling on the scene and the type of musicians you associate with? I,
0: I don't think other people are saying stuff like that. I okay. that, that. That for me, that comes from my dad, I think. But that's, yeah, I think, I think the LA scene, although there are, you know, I think, uh, the things I do have in common with the LA scene in general and things that might be different from the East coast, I think LA, I mean, you know, it, the stereotype exists for a reason, you know, we're known to be more laid back and, you know, um, maybe a little more, you know, sometimes a little more woo woo, a little more, you know, but, um, I think there's a certain, uh, a certain type of freedom that LA provides, um, where other places might provide other types of freedom. But I, th- I think the LA version of that is, yeah, you can be whatever you want. You know, yeah, there's Nick. really, there's really no, like, the, like, we don't have like a, we don't have any prestige to our scene hmm. for real. Like, like, like New York has prestigious, like the village Vanguard is prestigious. Right. You know? Yeah. But it's a little bit. is now prestigious, you know, right. like. We don't have stuff like that. what's our club? I mean, the baked potato. I mean, what's what's prestigious about? <laughs> right. You don't have stuff like that. Same. We don't have Juilliard and no. There's you know, no. We don't ha- yeah, we don't have you know the Brooklyn Bridge. This is where Sonny Rollins practiced. Like we don't have that. Right. You know the the, the jazz clubs in LA burned down in the 60s. or these fires that happened, and we don't really have that history um, as as visual as as New York does. And I think, but because of that, there's this freedom be- that of like I I don't feel any pressure. You know, the way I would feel if, if I played at the Village Vanguard, I think I would feel pressure. Yeah, right. there's
2: no – you don't have all of that, but you also don't have a lot of dogma out there with the music. It right. seems like. Right. We had we had Gerald Clayton on one of our mentor sessions, and I've never seen a teacher more open and accepting of whatever the student was playing in front of him. I mean, it was like a real yeah. master class in, in being Oh, and talk
1: about stereotypes. Like you mentioned stereotypes. Remember when we first had the call, we had a call schedule with Gerald, and he came on – Lay was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and he was literally wearing his surfing outfit. And he was like, "I forgot, I was just surfing." He had a surfboard behind him, and he's on his phone. I was like, there, "That's L.A. for you, right yeah, there."
0: Yeah. <laughs> a legend. I, he's also just like the be- one of the best pianists, like he's ever. The in greatest. My opinion, but he's agreed. the greatest. Yeah, agreed. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's a L.A. guy, you know, um, crazy. But,
1: but it's interesting because you're saying like you don't know, have the Village Vanguard and and the you know the Smalls and the Juilliards and stuff like that, but for a long time, and I'm just thinking back to how I kind of viewed West Coast when I first came out there to play. What you do have is Herbie Hancock for a long time. You had Wayne yeah. Shorter. Like you have these like titans of the music. And I know it's different there than New York because maybe things are more spread apart or so. Billy Childs, you know, who was kind of my oh. entry point to like LA and that whole thing. George Duke, you know, when I first came out there recorded, you know, for him. Oh, yeah. and, and I'm almost thinking about you. Oh, and yeah. like, I'm not
0: trying to downplay our, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. But it is, but, it, but it's yeah. interesting. Like, how did that filter to you? Because I'm thinking about somebody like Billy Childs or George Duke and even like your vibe of talking about really being in touch with like the production and the sound. Because to me, that's like kind of arranging. It's, it's, that's like what Billy Childs yep. thinks about like arranging. And I've worked with him a lot and like done orchestrations with him and like played his stuff. And it's so much more potentially paying attention to the overall sound than just the piano play. Of course, he can play his ass off too, though.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, God, I forgot the question because now I'm just thinking about Billy Childs, but yeah.
2: uh, it
1: was just g- g- do you want to geek out on Billy Childs with it? That let's, was the only question. Yeah, let's geek actually, out.
0: You know what? I have a really good Billy Childs story, actually. Oh, awesome. So, I, so he was at the uh, at the Monk Institute at UCLA. I was undergrad, I wasn't in the Monk Institute, uh, but I, I was an undergrad there at the time, and he um, was there f- for the week. And uh, I get a call from the director of the program said, Hey, do you want a lesson with Billy Childs? He's like giving, like. We're, we're providing free lessons with Billy Childs. I was oh, like, wow. uh, yes. Like, when do I show up? <laughs> so I, um, in preparation, I learned from my teacher Tamir Handelman mm. that for piano lessons, you should come with. You got to come with something, even if it's the first lesson. Yeah. And by the way, to people listening, come with something. Absolutely. For your first lesson, even if you've never seen the person before, don't say hello, how are you, and you show know, no, come okay. with something. Come with questions. Come with whatever. And what I do. Sometimes I'll transcribe something by the person and, and play it. So I transcribe uh, his playing on a uh, uh, maiden voyage. On the he did like a Herbie tribute record. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I transcribe the solo, and I walk in. He's like, "Hey, how you doing?" about da. And then I say, "I've got this transcription. Uh, can I?" I thought maybe I could play it, and then maybe you can give me some pointers. He's like, "Sure." So I play the thing, and and he he's like blown away by it. He's like he's like he's like, "Whoa, that's crazy." <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> and I was like, "That, that was you." That was you. And he goes, he goes, man, that was some bad shit. I, like, he was like, "That was dope." <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Wow, dang!" Yeah. Like he was like yeah. so like jacked on on. He was like, "Who did you? Where'd you get this <laughs> transcription? So this is incredible!" Right. So right. so then he, we talked about it, and then um, he gave me some of the coolest the coolest perspectives on like how to play that were not, no, no theory was discussed. It was, mm. he, he said, your homework is you need to, you need to watch a movie because I think you should start playing the piano, like the movie, the exorcist. That's what he told me. He said, <laughs> um, he said, what? cause he said sometimes the scariest scene in the ex you know, the scary scenes come when you don't expect it. It's daytime. And now it's all of a sudden it's mm. freezing cold and the girls blowing the you know Mm. ice out of her mouth you know it's like you got to be dramatic and and you know um super dynamic and surprising and you know yeah um, i just love that because i think yeah sometimes you know when you play you know you if you're just thinking about notes you can totally forget about like dynamics and not just dynamics in terms of volume but dynamics in terms of like dramatic dynamics you know right um Right. So, yeah, that was uh, something I never forgot. I never forgot that lesson. That was one of the coolest piano lessons ever. All right. Well,
2: let's yeah. let's book Billy for uh, how to play piano like the
0: Exorcist course that's here. That's right. That's <laughs> true. <Studio. Dude. laughs> think about that. that see, that, that's why you guys got to take piano lessons for the people listening. Take piano lessons with, yes. with new yeah. people that's true. Yeah. whenever you can because, you know, um, that's a perspective I could not have got. And I'm pretty sure no one else got from him. I'm sure he's got a million of these like random ideas that he's giving people all the time. And Yeah. Don't show up in person. You're not going to get some really cool stuff like that. It's I'm, great
2: advice, though. It's something we've heard um, someone say that Wayne Shorter told them is to go watch five specific films mm. and think about how those films affected you and what happened in the films and then take that to your music. Right, right. I think it's great advice because that is how our minds work when we're creating art. Absolutely. You know?
1: Yeah. yeah. I love this idea of like reaching out. I'm wondering for – I always wonder with young – People, I mean, I see this with my kids as as they were growing up, but it is a challenge when, like if there's a young, you know, uh, pianist or keyboard player or beat maker or whatever that likes, you know, here's your music uh, or any of our stuff on Spotify or whatever, like when we were coming up, if we wanted to learn more about that than we could hear on the record, like you had to find that, like when they came through town, you had to go up and physically approach them. And it's like now, And look, we're guilty of it here at Open Studio. We're putting all this content out there, telling people how to do it. But for a lot of young people, they feel like I think I can get everything by looking at your IG because you might demo something or I can get everything from a YouTube tutorial. But like, how do you how do we get people to make to know that you got to make that human connection and to be able to get that that next level story from Billy Childs or whatever that you're still going to be talking about years later?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can you know, you can listen to a YouTube video, but a YouTube video can't listen to you. Like, mm. you know, you need people to listen to you. Like some of my best lessons were, you know, one time I took a lesson with Eric Reed, and he honestly he ripped me to shreds, dude.
1: <laughs> that's classic and Eric I Reed that. right there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I needed that. I mean, it was like a really, really good thing looking back, you know, just like this is, you know, you're playing notes, but that, that's it. You know, that's not how this works. And, you know, if, if you only watch YouTube videos, you might learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot of notes, you right. know, but you got to develop character and you know all these like more nuanced aspects of playing and like approach and touch and like you know yeah these more interesting things that some i think it, yeah you need somebody who knows how to do those things to listen to you and then let you know when hey you actually don't sound the way you think you do you know like um yeah the notes are the, the easy person part can do that right, right the notes
2: the notes are the easy bit Right, yeah, exactly. Because that's just buttons and yeah. and math and stuff. But it's like, you know, then you get into, like you were saying, like expressing. And then you get into like, oh, my gosh, I have to like figure out how to really like be open and honest with what I'm trying to say here. That's the hard stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So, you know, on that note, um, you have this, uh, you know, this other, it seems like kind of a parallel uh, interest or career in music cur- curation through your Kiefer digs jazz, Spotify playlist. And I'd love to hear, that's actually how I first, like I had heard your music before, but before, like when I actually connected the dots and stuff was through that playlist. And um, for those that don't know, we'll have a link to it below. But to me, like this is the, the hippest playlist on spotify and you know take that for <laughs> what, take that for what you will in terms of jazz you know we all kind of know that in terms of jazz spotify is a little bit of a at a weird place because they have you, mean these, you don't like
2: the cafe jazz <laughs> you know it's, it's like, like you know it, cozy like, cafe
1: yeah exactly it's not oh. the what's the one jazz in the background i know that oh, one's huge you know but but what everyone needs to be doing is check out Kiefer diggs jazz and other ones like this too there's some other really good ones some smaller ones but yours is really one of the bigger ones of a curated thing for discovery. And look, I'm an old school jazz. And I, I, mean, I thought that I knew all that stuff. And as soon as I saw you had Cheryl by Phineas newborn, I was like, okay, this dude knows what he's talking about. But also there was some mm-hmm. stuff on there that was kind of a discovery or rediscovery for me. And, um, and also, I'm actually playing on a little bit, but that's not the reason I dug it. I didn't even realize that till later, and that was kind of like, wait, there's a letdown on this one track when it got to the piano solo, but whatever. Other than that, you did
2: good. No, that that's, it goes right to your heart.
1: Yeah, yeah no, Jesus. no. I don't want yeah, it to yeah. be like that, like the Billy Childs thing,
0: see? Gotta know your audience. Yeah,
1: right. But I'm just wondering, like, first of all, kind of how did that come about? And I know it's a relatively uh, recent thing, but like, how do you see your role or do you see it as that, as kind of a curator to, to who? Is this to young folks, to old folks, to jazz people, to non-jazz people, to your fans? Who was it for exactly?
0: Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, well, you know, I just love... I love jazz so much. I love Black American music, jazz, whatever you want to call it. I use the terms interchangeably, which can, I know some people would disagree with that. But we I do love that this too music here. so much. <laughs> I just love it, love it, love it so much. I mean, I was you know—I was raised listening to it. Um, and I think I'll, I do feel... Um, I do feel disappointed when there's, you know, what I perceive to be a misunderstanding of what this music means and what like the historical hallmark, um, you know, uh, examples of it are. And, you know, the way that people use the term jazz now to describe stuff that is just not that, including my own music, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't consider what I do jazz, Obviously, jazz is extremely important to what I do, and it's a part of what I do, but it's not, uh, that's not that, you know what I'm saying? And so I think part of me feels a responsibility. If it were not for the fact that Spotify literally added my song in the playlist, I wasn't going to put it in. I uh, just want to make that clear mm. because um, that's, yeah, that's something that matters to me. I want people to know that, uh, you know, what, what we call jazz, like, it, it drives me crazy that people would like jazz and not listen to Thelonious Monk. Right. That's crazy. Right it's that's crazy yeah like it's like it's like saying you like basketball and then your favorite players are like you know like d1 college players from like <laughs> this year and it's like yeah but you don't even know about michael yeah. jordan right like what like that's crazy it's you kind of the, about
2: it's kind of the problem with the label Jackson?
0: it's what are we talking about it's like, the problem it's with the
2: label itself at this point it's been around for so long and it means so many different things to so many different people obviously but of course like Like if you're not including Monk in that, if you're not including Coltrane and Miles and Charlie Parker, like it's not, you you know, we can't, we can't really agree on that. We can't agree on anything. Right,
0: right. Yeah, it's just like, and it's just a huge, I mean, to say it's a missed opportunity for somebody to be interested in jazz and not understand that stuff is an understatement. I mean, you know, and um, so, yeah, I do feel some responsibility Uh, that when someone wants me to make a playlist, that's, you know, I looked at some of those other playlists, I'm not going to name any names, but there was none of this stuff in there. There was no, nothing was swinging in there. And I was like, how is that possible? How are you making a jazz playlist And there's no, what? Like, I was just like, that's crazy. So I also have this kind of, um, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, you can hear it in my voice. I'm like a little bit, I'm a little bit ticked off and, uh, it is kind of a bit of a, like, I don't, I don't care if, I don't care if people like tune into my playlist thinking it's going to be stuff like my music and then they're disappointed. Right. I don't care. This is what, you know, that's how I feel. This is what it is. And yeah, I wanted to now granted the other thing too, is I'm aware that most people that are going to listen to this playlist probably haven't dug too deep. You know, if people are listening to it cause they like my stuff and I really want to invite them in and mm. give them some stuff that's important, historically relevant and also really enjoyable. So yeah, that's why I off with Driftin'. I love Yeah, like, Yeah. Yeah. It's a good call. That to me is a song. I think like people that, Maybe they don't understand this music at all, but when they hear like, you know, Freddie and Dexter Gordon and Billy Higgins at the, at the very top of the song, it just it just sounds so warm and beautiful. Right. And then I, you know, I put in, you know, this I dig of you. That's, you know, that's again, Monk's Dream. I think any like people off the street can listen to Monk's Dream and they something about it. They just love it. Yeah. And then I would sneak in, you know, some stuff that's like a little hipper. Right. Like some Phineas Newport Jr. Yeah, but
2: you know, someone's going to be into art. that someone who who had never heard of Phineas Newborn Jr. is going to listen to your playlist and come away with that. And that's, yeah. that's a win. That's a yeah. W. Because that's not a hard yeah. listen,
1: even yeah. though it's not maybe listened to a lot. It's no. not a hard listen at all.
0: So killing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it, it's interesting because it, that you say that Spotify dropped your stuff in there because I was wanted to ask like, do you see a space where you can put more I know you're saying that you don't consider your you, you know your your you don't want to be labeled or aren't labeled as jazz and we're 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 very much against labels unless it can make a YouTube video pop off and then we'll talk about labels for a long time just for fun, you know but I mean th- this idea to me it wasn't a stretch when it moves to your music in fact, the track that's on there right after the Phineas I believe um what I was hearing was uh who was i gonna bring up oh joe sample who i didn't see hear you mention at all oh, i don't know if you listen to joe much but like that was the first thing on that track once you once you're kind of stretching out a little bit that was i was like oh he must have checked out joe or checked out the people that joe checked out
0: yeah i've checked out some some joe sample not enough but uh i mean joe sample is amazing and
1: well maybe I enough because like, you sound like him so maybe you did check out enough thank you
0: <laughs> hey, i i have i have checked out a few of his things over the years um like I have, I have one of his record, records, Rain, Rainbow Seeker, mm. and then I, yeah. uh, then the uh, Southern Comfort record from uh, the Crusaders, Crusaders is like my yeah. favorite. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously, I covered one of those songs for one of my records too.
1: Yeah,
0: but, is- yeah I, I appreciate that the, the comp there. I mean, that's like an all timer right there. Um, yeah and I mean he yeah. was to
1: me was you know sitting in a similar space that you may be or want to be in or, or you know a lot of times we don't realize we're at some place I mean people have told me before oh you sound like you must have listened to a lot of such and such and I'll be like oh thank you and I'm like I, and I didn't a lot but what I realize is there are these connections that are made through other things we listen to or things that we don't remember and I think Joe was somebody I mean I knew him personally somebody, he was like the sweetest guy the nicest super helpful to me and a lot of young musicians but he was like that like he had no problem sitting in that place of like groove And soloing and blues, of course, and R and B for sure, and even like you know, like the whole last twenty years. Like he was very associated with smooth jazz, but to me, like the best, you know, we were talking about Grover Washington and all the hippest smooth jazz.
2: I think this is where when Nicholas Payton talks about Black American music, this is where it really shines because Mm. the term jazz does not really mean all of that but the term black american music implies a similar set of of cultural values of how we make the music you know that mm. matters too mm. and it's not just how it sounds but like like the lineage of how you think about it where it comes from uh, yeah. where you're getting your influences from and i think that is can be very helpful of like you know there is a, a line between monk and joe sample and Kiefer. like there's yeah. it's there and it's not all jazz you know? absolutely one more question, Kiefer, before we go. From TikTok, mm-hmm. uh, someone wants to know, could you talk about uh, your Spectronics, uh, Spectrasonics performance with
0: Abraham Laboreal
2: Sr.? Ooh.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, Abraham Laboreal is uh, a legendary bassist um, and just like an incredible human being. He's a... Uh, he's, uh, uh, He's the most, I, from what I understand, the most recorded bassist of all time. It's crazy. Mm. He was like Quincy Jones's first or second yeah. call for like 30, 40 years. It was nuts. And um, he's uh, an incredible teacher as well. I, I lived very close to him for a couple years there, about like, I was like maybe five minutes away. Mm. Is his son and I was a, a, year. a drummer?
2: Is his son yes. Paul McCartney's drummer?
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So. Yeah, so that's Abe Laboreal Jr. And then Abraham Sr. is the one that that I play with. And uh, um, yeah, an incredible teacher, unbelievable bassist. Like just, I mean, he also like created so many like styles of playing that people emulate now. He's like one of the most important bassists to ever live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I was very fortunate to be in his band for about a year and uh, we became really good friends. And then on this video shoot, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years uh because he was sick for a little while and then um eric who runs uh like surprised me and had him like show up to like play a session which is like really oh, funny because nice. it's like live and then he <laughs> started we started playing a tune i used to play in his band for like three years prior and you I gotta remember, remember it. it yeah yeah yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah I, was, I was like oh, like oh, okay uh, so i'm so that part of the, the the video i'm not proud of but i'm extremely proud of uh my connection with uh with uh Abe, it's uh, just like an honor of a lifetime to well, let's, know him. and
2: uh, We'll link to that yeah. video, too, of Kiefer. With yeah, I want to see Abraham I love their junior, series, man. Senior. Yeah. Uh, I think we've taken up way too much of your time already. Kiefer, thank you so much for Oh, I, I can go all day. I'm so okay. to be here. <laughs> let's go to hour two. Here we go.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's so great, <laughs> Kiefer. We really appreciate it. And, and um you know, uh, keep doing your thing. So if folks want to check you out, um, obviously on Spotify, the place, will link to that. And also, when, when are you back on tour? Because you're on a little bit of a break, but you got a bunch of dates. It reminded That reminded me back of the 90s. I was like, man, he's doing like a 90s style that tour. That seemed like a vintage tour. That looked like a vintage tour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when are you back out there? you going over to, is, is Europe happened already or that's about to happen?
0: That's, that's happening in January. Uh, I believe January 24th is the first date, I want to say, and could be in... Sorry, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, uh, January yeah. through February, I'm doing Europe. And then I'm also doing some dates with Nate Smith. Uh, in January, we're doing Durham and D.C., so look out for that. Nice. And then in March, we're doing two nights at the Blue Note.
2: Amazing.
1: Cool. And so where's the best folk? The best place for folks to follow you? Is at IG or on your website? Yeah, Instagram
0: is – that's where I'm the loudest. I'm, I'm always <laughs> talking to people on Instagram. So hit me okay. up on Instagram. Uh, you can find my tour dates on my bio link there also my website key for com. you know
1: what i'm saying that's, uh, that's how you do it yeah. that's right well that's great well thank you so much yeah, man. and Thanks. um until next time
0: you'll hear it you'll hear it thank you so much <laughs> you guys i'm so so honored that you guys reached out i'm a huge fan of the show oh man and i just i just I, it's one of the most validating things uh, to be here. So, thank well, you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. Come,
2: please come back anytime.
0: Yeah. Come see absolutely. us. Come oh, please. Yeah. yeah. I'll bother you about it. Let's do it.
1: No, do it. Do it. Do it. And now that I hear <laughs> how, that you're passionate about teaching, too, we might be hitting you up about doing for something for Open Studio. Hey. If you'd be into that at some point. Yeah. Come on now.
0: Very open to it. Okay. Very open to it.
1: Thanks, man. Sounds great. Have a good one, man. All right.
0: Peace. All right. Bye. See you guys.